0: This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com.
1: Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, when we were in school, clowning around could get us into a lot of trouble. Yet our guest today has discovered that a clown presence
2: can actually take our presentations to the next level. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Our guest today is Don Colliver. Don teaches popular public speaking courses internally at Google and around the world and speaks professionally for Fortune 500 companies, including Adobe, Cisco, and Medtronic. Don has performed with the Blue Man Group, toured internationally as a theatrical clown for contemporary circus Spiegel World, and is listed in the Cirque du Soleil Performer database. He was the winner of the Toastmaster International District 1 Tall Tales Speech Contest. Don is also the author of the book Wink! Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence. The January 2023 issue of the Toastmaster magazine includes an article Don wrote called Clowning Around discover three easy techniques for adding some good-natured fun to your presentation. Joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area in California, welcome Don Coliver. Welcome.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
2: Don, many of our listeners have probably heard this term, executive presence, that seems to be getting increasing attention over the past few years. Your article introduces a new concept, clown presence. So so can you share with us what is clown presence? And why would anyone who's not an entertainer want to consider developing it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think we need to address the elephant in the room first. When I say clown, most people or many people run screaming for the door. And uh, I I get that because clowns, you know, in pop culture often are seen as creepy uh, and personally, I, I find when I grew up and would go to Chuck E. Cheese, which is a a pizza kids restaurant here in the states, there sometimes would be humans walking around in these full outfits with big masks on, and they terrified me as a kid. And I think the reason for that is I couldn't see their face, I couldn't see and understand what they were feeling, and how, if they were being honest with me at the moment. I tend to think when people think of clowns and all the white face and all the makeup and costumes, Uh, the creepiness is that you can't really see uh, what's going on with uh, that person. And But clown presence is the opposite of that. What I'm talking about is being absolutely present with your audience. And when I say that, I mean listening at every moment. So you can change or... uh, pivot your presentation based upon the feedback your audience is giving you. It's entering into a two-way conversation with your audience rather than just a one-way dump of information.
1: As you're speaking, I'm thinking about clowns. And to me, it's this reminders of Stephen King's it, right? Sure. What was the name of that clown? Pennywise. Pennywise. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, there's that clown doll there from Poltergeist that just it sends shivers up my spine.
2: You know, Don, it's interesting because this other stereotype that you were pointing out of the clown with with the red nose, with the big oversized shoes and whatnots I mean, that's where I typically go to when I hear the word clown rather than the creepy side. But I found it really fascinating as I read through your book to learn the wider historical context for the role of the clown throughout history.
0: Yeah. I think the type of clown that I'm speaking of, or the current iteration that I'm talking about, was kind of, I think the word is codified uh, by a teacher named Jacques Lecoq. uh, And he realized and started teaching that the clown cannot exist without the audience. Both things are necessary. Like I say about that two-way conversation, the structure of A clown bit, as I understand it is. If you go see a clown bit at Cirque du Soleil, the clown attempts something, fails, is vulnerable, attempts again, fails even bigger and more funny, (laughs) shares, attempts again, fails even bigger, more funny. If you start thinking of like Mr. Bean bits and things, you start to realize, oh, this is always attempts and failures, attempts and failures that are heightening, heightening, heightening. And then kind of the perfect conclusion is the clown backwardly stumbles into some kind of sublime, unintentional, beautiful thing that isn't even what they intended to do. That's a clown bit. But when I talk about clown presence, I'm just talking about the element of being vulnerable, sharing your true self in the moment with the audience. And that is going to get the audience more on your side. And that's what really relates to toastmasters presentations i think
2: well john speaking of the clown bit one of my favorite stories from your book is when you share your experience the first time you participated in an exercise called save the show i'd love to have you share
0: that story with us and with our audience oh man yes such a challenging and basic exercise when I first discovered Clown. I was doing a lot of improvisation in Los Angeles, having a great time. And then I saw one improviser give a physical comedy workshop. And every time he would do something funny on the stage, in the scene, if we would laugh, he'd look at us, share his joy, and go back to the scene. And somehow, rather than taking me out of the scene, it made me more, it made me laugh harder. And after the workshop, I was like, What was that you're doing? He's like, That was clown. At that same time, a guy named John Gilkey started teaching a class called the Idiot Workshop. He was a very well-known Cirque du Soleil clown, and he wrote classic clown bits for various shows for Cirque du Soleil. And I started training with him. And one of his initial tough Exercises was this exercise called Save the Show. At its base is the audience, the class sits in the audience with the teacher. And your direction as the one person behind the curtain on the stage is you must enter and make the audience laugh with no preparation. And the audience is directed by the teacher to give you no pity laughter. Oftentimes in a improv 101 class or something like that, people will get laughs just because you know what? They're up there, they're trying, let's give them a laugh. But this, you've been specifically directed to not do that. The structure is built for failure. It is built for failure. I get up there, I'm sweating, I'm so nervous. I get up, I'm I'm like, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. I'm a good improviser, I can figure this out. I jump on the stage, I start running around, sweating. I'm trying every. I'm tripping and falling. I don't know how to do a pratfall, but I'm trying. I'm running into the wall, falling down silence silence i'm trying like making like fart noises with my (laughs) armpit i'm trying everything (laughs) and the audience is just staring and i'm so (laughs) i'm just getting more and more terrified finally i'm so physically exhausted i just stop in the center of the stage and my shoulders drop i look the audience in the eye and i just said i said um What do you guys want? That moment, a wave of laughter came from the audience. It was finally, I had acknowledged the moment. I had acknowledged what was happening. I had acknowledged how my attempts to connect were not connecting. And weirdly, that acknowledgement caused the connection. And that was the moment I was like, oh, there's something here. It's not about how hard I try, it's about how much I engage, it's about how much. I create connection.
1: So you made a connection, Don. Do you think that perhaps for you, this might have been your epiphany, your your moment of truth where you really learned the value of
0: vulnerability? I think you're right. I mean, there were multiple turning points, but this was a big one. It was like a big learning turning point of like, oh, it's not about how carefully I craft my joke or my speech. It's it's how present am I? How much do I acknowledge the audience? How much do I acknowledge our dialogue in the moment? That is what people are going to remember.
2: Interesting. Don, with the save the show exercise, you got out there and you tried to do some really ridiculous, silly things, and that didn't work. And then it took this kind of raw human moment that finally got the laughter. But is there a way to, I'll call it, play that game? where people can be doing the silly, ridiculous stuff and get the results that they're looking for, you know, that maybe it is the hand under the armpit that finally gets the audience to laugh? Or does it always end up that has to be something really, I don't know, unique or unexpected that emerges that finally gets the audience to laugh?
0: Oh, man, that's such a great question. Here's the thing. When people are just naturally funny, they're being authentic. That is absolutely who they are. They haven't crafted it. They haven't like been carefully, the, the kind of humor I'm talking about. And I think the trouble I was running into when I was failing was I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I was trying to figure out what they wanted, trying to like fit myself into that hole. When I see people who are naturally funny, oftentimes, and I, and I run into this a lot in my classes, people will get laughs and they will have no idea why people are laughing. Some people take that and they feel ashamed of it. They're like, I don't I feel I don't know what's going on. But what clown has taught me is if I can put a pin in what people are laughing at, I can take control of that and then it becomes very 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 powerful. And that's exactly what I've found. Like I'm a pretty quirky guy, I'm a dorky guy. And I can make two choices. I can either be ashamed of that and try and appear really cool, or I can lean into it and even lean into it more when I really want to connect with the audience. From the specific example of my failure in Save the Show, I learned that acknowledging my failure, acknowledging um, my vulnerability in that moment and how it wasn't working, was counterintuitively the thing that got the audience on my side. Some people will have a different thing. Some people trying to be serious will make the audience laugh and they'll be like, oh, this is a great tip. But the only way to realize it is to be put on the spot in a situation like Save the Show. Wow. It's such a vulnerable exercise. I could just imagine it.
2: It must feel like just coming out in the middle of the stage and standing there naked (laughs) in front of the audience. Like they see everything. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. And there's a version of this exercise too, which, which is a little more visual that may help your audience like kind of picture it. It's where you come out and you stand stock still far from the audience. You do some kind of a verbal or physical Thing to engage the audience, if you get a positive response of some kind of noise, you're allowed to take one step towards the audience. You try it again. If you get nothing, you got to take one step back Ooh. and it's so interesting you very quickly realize what the audience wants from you. You're like, what do they like that I'm doing? It's not what I thought. It's not when I make knock knock jokes or put my arm on put my hand under my armpit. They hate that. <laughs> But it's a great way, and it's painful to acknowledge it. But if you can wade through that, you become very, very powerful. That's why I think personal stories are so powerful in presentations. If you can tell a story about a time you learned something, that inherently means there was a time you did not know that, and you're sharing kind of a a human fallible of your own self. And everybody can acknowledge that and people are afraid to acknowledge it. And if you're up there brave enough to share it, you're going to get the audience on your side.
1: You talk about three techniques for incorporating inclusive clown humor into your presentations. So can you
0: briefly share those with us? Sure. Yeah. These are very, very high level, simple things to kind of get you going. First, the first one is familiar is funny. And this goes back to, you know, in the, in the basics Toastmaster speaking manual, like know your audience, know what your audience relates to, and don't hesitate to relate elements of your uh, presentation to things that are relatable to your audience. I think the example I give in the article is if you're talking about your, um, stressful job as a a product manager and coordinating kind of herding cats. You could say it's kind of like, you know, our treasurer trying to get people to pay your Toastmasters dues or something like that. Something relating to uh, something the audience shares. So that's one easy way. Now, I want to say these jokes aren't going to kill it. These jokes will get a (laughs) smile. These jokes will get people on your side. And that's the point. The second one is, I, I think I term it, own your groan. That's the classic first joke of many standups is I know what you're thinking. I look like blankety blank, 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 this. Where you take the edge off any judgment by acknowledging it about yourself. Say me, for example, I look a little bit like Jim Carrey and I act a little bit like an amped up Jim Carrey. That's a lot of energy, right? <laughs> So I could say, like, I know what you're thinking. Looks like Jim Carrey had too many cups of coffee today. Something like that. Not great. Not hilarious. But it is showing my vulnerability. Dad jokes kind of fall into this same uh, realm. Uh, For folks who don't know what dad jokes are, they're just very punny jokes. Like, let's see. Why is no one friends with Dracula? Because he's a pain in the neck. That's a groaner. Like People are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you.
2: Don, how that. do you know a joke is a dad joke? It becomes apparent. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> well played, my friend. Well played. Groan. <laughs> That's a perfect example. You knew that wasn't a perfectly crafted Seinfeldian joke. But you've kind of put yourself as the joke. You're like, look at me. I'm willing to step up here and tell a not great joke. And people are going to kind of laugh at my attempt. And that's very brave. I feel that gets the audience on your side. And lastly, just to wrap up, is playing with pattern. And here's where we get into actual crafted jokes. Normally, I don't recommend this for my students, but if you really want to become a person who does like a tight five at uh, open mic nights. There's a structure to that and you can get better with practice.
1: I was thinking about own your grown And I still remember doing some club officer training. And I remember I, I gave a joke and it was like on a Wednesday night, I told this joke and I got a really good laugh. And then I told the same joke early on a Saturday morning and I got crickets. And then I said to myself, just innocently, I said, It was funny on Wednesday night. Note to self, do not share this joke if it's before 7.30 in the morning. And that got a laugh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you said that and that got the laugh? That got the laugh. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll have to remember that for next time. (laughs) That's like the perfect example, acknowledging Hmm. your attempt to connect, acknowledging your vulnerability. And that's what the audience loved. They didn't care about the joke. They cared about you trying to connect with them. Wow. And it, you're right. It it was innocent. What a perfect example. I love that. Yeah, and it's funny because that can go two ways. You you took the responsibility on yourself, which is what people love. They want to see you take responsibility. If you would have said, "Hey, that joke is funny," people laughed on Wednesday, blaming them. Immediately, <laughs> you'd turn them off, and they do not like you. Like so, it's so it's <laughs> interesting how you handled that.
2: That reminds me, I'm flashing back to, I think it was on a show here in the States, and I know there's versions of it around the world, America's Got Talent. And there was a comedian who I thought was absolutely hilarious. Uh, His name is Doogie Horner, I believe. He started telling some jokes and the audience was not on his side. So he flipped it around and started berating them like you're horrible people, terrible people, the worst audience, and it was so hilarious that finally, like him unleashing his. Of course, it was put on, but his frustration is what turned the audience around and got them laughing and on his side.
0: Gosh, see, I love that because now we're talking about the kind of I call it indie clown. It's kind of a thing that's going on right now of being able to be so embodied of this this character where the audience knows that you, have, you are winking at them. They know he's yeah. not really tearing them apart, and they love it. I, I did a tour for this company called Spiegel World, which is a neo-burlesque contemporary circus. There's a show uh, at Caesar's Palace called Absinthe, and I did a version of that in a North American tour, and I was the host clown, meaning in front of 800 people a night, I would engage with the audience. I kind of had an antagonistic relationship with them, but it was a fine line because I was always winking at them. They always knew I was there to have fun. I was there to make sure they had fun, but I was doing it kind of in a poking and antagonistic way. It takes a lot of skill and training to be able to do that. Uh, Reason being, I need to take my need to get validated off of them and be very aware when I'm getting into that. I call it a stealth intention. Brene Brown talks a lot about it. If you're up in front of an audience in front of your Toastmasters Club and your intention is to be validated, they're going to sense it. And you need to kind of sort that stuff out on your own and not put that responsibility on your audience and only come to them to be of service to them.
2: Don, I want to be real transparent with you for a second. When Greg first mentioned to me that there was an article written by a clown. <laughs> my, if you remember, my response was like, man, I don't want to talk to a clown. <laughs> like, that's, that's just not for me. <laughs> but I have to tell you, and, and it's before this conversation, but this conversation is further enhancing it. This stuff goes really deep. And I, I got that from reading Your book. I'm like, actually, there's something real here. There's a real path for development. This isn't just some funny little shtick of like, oh, hey, clown presence. (laughs) And one of the areas that really resonated for me was you talk about authentic confidence. And at the heart of that, as I understand it, is this belief that I am enough. And Don, I think the truth is some of us don't feel like we are enough. Can you speak for a moment? To listeners who fall into that category who don't feel like they're enough.
0: Oh my gosh. I can speak to myself. I can speak to you. I mean, I think everyone struggles with that, no matter what veneer of confidence they may portray. That is the first chapter in my book about personal confidence and how to get there. The most kind of non-denominational suggestions I can give in the book frankly, our Toastmasters. Low stakes, regular practice. Low stakes, regular sharing is the way that worked for me. Uh, simply getting up in front of an audience, facing my fears in very small portions. And as I did, I built confidence. There was no kind of shot that suddenly made me super confident. I get terrified all the time. But I have tools now. I have warm-ups, physical warm-ups, meditation. Uh, I have a whole section in my class about dealing with anxiety. I don't know if if you guys meditate. Meditation is a great way uh, to handle it. Mm -hmm. And without getting woo-woo, I think anything I can do to observe myself kind of dispassionately Because when I'm anxious, I'm like, I'm completely embodied with anxiety. But what meditation does for me, it allows me to kind of step outside myself and be like, oh, you're very anxious right now. What do we need to do to take care of that anxious guy? And that's what meditation does for me uh, in terms of handling this you are enoughness. But Mm. great question. And thank you for your transparency. And thanks for the very nice compliment about this discussion.
2: Yeah, I hope that comes across that it comes from admiration that I would share that with you that I I really am touched by what you have to share and bring to the world.
0: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, hey, we're all on a journey. We're all fellow travelers. And uh, you guys are doing fantastic things. Toastmasters, I cannot say enough about Toastmasters. I'm always telling people who ask me similar questions like, Yo, there's probably 15 Toastmasters within 20 miles of you. Just find one that's convenient and start going.
1: And now you can find one online if you happen to be distant from someone. So you're never really that far away.
0: Totally.
2: Speaking of Toastmasters, Don, something that Toastmasters do that I know you advocate is preparation. And tying in this topic of vulnerability that we've just been talking about, you suggest a practice that I think could be quite vulnerable for a lot of people. It's what you call a public run-through. When I heard the name, I thought, oh, I'm sure I know what he's going to be suggesting here. And then I kept reading and realized I was totally wrong. What is a public run-through?
0: Yeah, a public run-through, it's something... I do to prepare for my trade show presentations, and and I should give a little background. I get hired by tech companies, and I will speak in their booth on the expo floor at these big tech conferences, like cybersecurity conferences, that sort of thing. So I'm talking all day, a seven to 15 minute presentation. I'm filling the booth. I'm delivering this presentation, taking a break, doing it again. So I need to prepare myself for the maximum level of distraction. All, anything can happen at any time, and I need to be unfazed by it. So what I started to do was, once I had rehearsed and memorized and, and got myself very comfortable with my presentations, is I take myself on a walk through a public place. There's Sometimes there are outdoor malls, someplace where there are a lot of human beings milling around. And I will deliver my presentation as I'm walking through this space. But I will also put some headphones in my ears. That way people don't think I'm just emphatically talking to myself. It'll look like I'm on the phone. But what this does is it provides the maximum amount of distraction and it forces me to stay razor focused on uh, what I'm talking about, what the next transition is, what is the next portion of my presentation, no matter what happens. And uh, I don't do not recommend doing this where you have to cross streets. Don't do that. <laughs> but inevitably, <laughs> someone will say something to you and you need to respond to them. Uh, like, your coffee's up. Thank you very much. Grab your coffee. Then I pick right back up into my presentation where I was. So it kind of is, it, I call it iron boots training. Uh, like if you would be training for a marathon and then you would run with like heavy shoes on or something. It will never be that difficult, but the ability to deliver my presentation with that level of distraction will make me bulletproof when I get up there.
1: Some people may feel that they don't have a funny bone or they don't feel that they have the confidence to pull off what you're talking about. What's one way someone could start to begin to get comfortable with using some of these clown
0: presence type techniques? Great question. I will have to give a tried and true answer. There are many improv classes around the country. There's also many, many online now. I know Toastmasters have certainly heard that suggestion many times before. Here's why. One of the basic tenets of introductory improvisation is the principle of yes and, which we all heard. It's agreement. I like to tweak that into C value, add value meaning you don't have to agree with everything if it's inappropriate that your partner says, but you can find something positive and build upon it. What that does for the anxious or nervous speaker who maybe is struggling with being funny, they can drop the need to be funny for a while and just realize that their impulse, their instinct of how to respond to something is more than enough. In fact, it might be better than something that they wrote carefully the night before. That's what improv taught me. My impulse is so weird and so different. I don't need to put anything on top of it. It's enough. That really is what I took away from improv. And that's why I recommend it to people who are trying to kind of loosen up and be a little more fun on stage. Quite
1: often we'll use humor or it's suggested to use humor to break the ice. And I'm just curious, can you share with us perhaps one way you could apply the clown
0: presence when perhaps a topic is very serious? Sure. When I'm teaching, particularly over pandemic, I was doing a lot of virtual public speaking courses internally at Google. There were a lot of huge things happening in the news Things that were so profound that you could not not mention them. Rather than ignore them at the top of the classes, I would do something we call stretch and share, where everyone gets 60 seconds. We would go around the virtual room to lead us all on a stretch, and they could either share what's on their mind or share something they're grateful for. What that did is it kind of acknowledged what was in the room that was unspoken. And once it's acknowledged, It feels dealt with. We don't need to solve it. We just need to acknowledge it. I think a a challenge that speakers can get into sometimes is they feel that they need to have all the answers when all they really need is to hold space for their audience. On, On a much lighter level, I don't know if you've ever been in a presentation where a speaker is delivering a presentation and there's a car alarm going on. Maybe that speaker will not acknowledge that car alarm. It's just, they just feel they will not acknowledge it. And the audience, at least me, all I can think of is, is this person going to acknowledge that car alarm? Like I can't <laughs> right. think about the topic anymore. And really all it takes is, wow, that's an annoying car alarm anyway. And then I can put it away. Uh, mm-hmm. Similar to using a parking lot for audience questions. Say people are throwing questions at you and you really want to continue with the presentation. Sometimes all they need to do is see you write their question on the whiteboard and they'll feel acknowledged. You don't need to answer it. Just acknowledging it physically somehow will be enough to for the audience to feel that it's been taken care of for the moment.
1: I'm thinking of what I'm grateful for. And I think what I'm grateful for today is this conversation. Mm -hmm. Folks, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, please take a moment and share it with a friend. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify,
2: and everywhere you find your podcasts, Ryan. Don, we really want to thank you for coming on the show today. And before we let you go, uh, could you please share with us what's the best way for listeners to get in touch or to keep tabs on what you're working on, or maybe to figure out how to get a copy of your book, how to connect with
0: you? Sure. I primarily interact via LinkedIn. So certainly reach out and connect with me there at Don Colliver. I have an exercise that your audience can use to get better at what I'm talking about in terms of delivering your presentation at the same time as being aware and reacting to your audience. And if you go to doncolliver.com forward slash engage, you can get that for free. If you're interested in the book, Wink Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence, just check out Amazon.
2: Fantastic. And we also recommend to our listeners to read your article in the January 2023 issue of the Toastmaster Magazine, Clowning Around, Discover Three Easy Techniques for Adding Some Good-Natured Fun to Your Presentation. Don, thanks for clowning around with us today. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Isn't it about time you published that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.